Uh, We are looking at Joel chapter 2, as we've done each and every week, which will springboard us to a question. So uh, let's read along. Joel 2, 28 and 29. It says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, as your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to notice something here in Joel's prophecy. Uh, in each of the persons that it, that it describes, it, it gives you some different groups of people. It says sons and daughters. It says old men and young men. It says male and female servants. They, they receive the spirit. It says it was poured out on, on all flesh. And once they receive the spirit, there's a marked difference in their life. It's noticeable. How is it noticeable? To some, it says they, they prophesy. We can say that this gift of prophecy is to be able to speak truth, to warn others, and to promote the word of God. Others, it says here, dream dreams and see visions. Uh, perhaps that's, that's vision casting within the church and seeing the ways that God is at work within the local church. But what I want you to notice most of all is that there's a marked difference in the lives of each of these individuals when the Spirit of God does this claims them for his purpose and plan. And it reminded me of this quote from Michael Horton. He's, he's a theologian. He says this, the spirit is not a resource that we use. Okay. Sometimes we mistake in the spirit of God as just some force to be kind of carried out and that we can aim at different uh, distractions or areas of our life that we need help with. He's not just some sort of resource that we use, not just some sort of spell that we cast or do some sort of of cadence of events in our life to kind of bring in the spirit to help us and give us power. He's not a resource that we use, but he is this. He is the God who claims us for his purposes, sweeping us up unexpectedly and disruptively into his new world. We declared last week that we are new creations in Christ, and that's because of the power of the spirit that has come upon us. Notice Horton's words here. He says, it's the God who claims us. My prayer is that you will begin to understand that your Christian faith has led to a marked change in your existence, okay? You're never the same when the Spirit of God comes upon you. He's, a, he's in a sense, he's a, a positive, radical disruption to your life, where, where your trajectory or your path has been shifted from, from going according to your will and your wants and your desires to be, to be now drawn in line with God's perfect purpose and plan for your life. And, and the God who claims you, I want to remind you of this, and I think you've been reminded each and every week, the God who claims you has also filled you with the power of himself, the power of his Holy Spirit. I pray for you and with you this morning in a way similar to uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, he says this in his book called The, the Spirit-Filled Life. Quoting Dr. Stanley, he says, My heart breaks for men and women who simply go through the motions. You ever feel like that in your Christian life sometimes? I do. If I'm honest, I, sometimes I feel like I'm just going through the motions. He, he outlines some of them out uh, in, in this quote, such as like going to church, reading their Bibles, saying prayers, confessing sins, right? None of those are bad things. They're all good things in the Christian life, but all too often we just kind of go through the motions in those things. And just, I'm just going to go to church, check the box, read my Bible, say my prayers, confess sin, and then I'm just moving on with my life. 
He said, he continuing his quote, he says, but who never enjoy, this is my prayer for you, that never enjoy intensely personal, wonderfully intimate and profoundly fulfilling relationship with the living God. I pray for you and for me that we would have a, an intimate, wonderfully intimate, intensely personal and profoundly fulfilling relationship with the living God. Who wants that? I do. And I want that for you. I pray that this this series focusing on the Spirit begins to propel you into a deeper and more intimate relationship with the God who dwells in you. Our minds should be absolutely blown when we make that statement, that God dwells within His people. It's the reason why Paul could call you temples of the Holy Spirit. A temple was a place where God's dwelling place was, where His presence was, where He lives. He lives within the Christian and the, the, the Spirit, so much so that the Spirit, as Paul would say in Romans, the Spirit enables you to cry out these words, Abba, Father. If you don't know what Abba means, it means Daddy. It's this intimate relationship that we have with the Father. And so we come to this question, how does the Spirit help the Christian? How does the Spirit help the Christian. Well, first off, where do we get this concept of the Spirit helping? It's actually one of his names. Jesus outlines this in John 14, 15 to 17. He says this to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you, notice, another helper to be with you, how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. I love this. For he dwells with you. So in a sense, we get this picture of he's all around us and will be in you. That was accomplished on the day of Pentecost when God's Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and they went out proclaiming the gospel. When people place their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they receive also God's Holy Spirit. And he is our helper. And so we're going to look at four ways this morning that the Spirit helps the Christian. But I want to pause because there's not just four ways that the Spirit helps us. I mean, the, the ways are countless. So some of you love when I give you homework. I'm giving you homework this week. <laughs> I want to encourage you as you read through the Bible this week, read through the Bible yourself. Chart the ways that you see the Spirit of God empowering His people all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. If you want one area of study, if you only could read one book this week, read the book of Acts and see the way that the Spirit moves uh, in the book of Acts. And just chart that out. And you're going to see all the ways that the Spirit helps us. But we're focusing on four ways this morning. The first way that the Spirit helps us is He brings conviction. The Spirit brings about conviction. We've spoken often of the the Spirit as a revealer, right? Bringing to light things. And His convicting work is one aspect of uh, the Spirit of God, God Himself revealing Himself. Okay, when we think of this word conviction, I want you to think of of bringing to light. In this next passage that we're going to read, it talks about the Spirit convicting the world. Okay, and the idea of, of convict is it's almost like you're shining a light in the darkness and it's exposing what was hidden in the dark. So we want to think of that when we think of this word uh, conviction, bringing that which was hidden out into 
the open. John 16, 7 to 11 says this. Again, this is the words of Jesus to his disciples. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. When Jesus says he's going to tell you the truth, which he always does, you better, if he went to the effort of saying, I tell you the truth, you better pay attention. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. What? I mean, can you imagine you're a follower of Jesus? You've, you've been with him in the flesh, in person. He says, it's to your advantage that I leave you. I mean, that's mind-blowing in and of itself. He says this, this is the reason why. For if I do not go away, the what? The helper will not come to you. Who is the helper? It's the Holy Spirit of God. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, here's our word, convict the world concerning sin. What did convict mean again, right? Shine a light. It's going to shine a light. And righteousness and judgment, Jesus says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Conviction, judgment, and righteousness all go hand in hand. The beauty of reading this passage from John, probably later uh, next year, we're going to be back in the Gospel of John. We started in the Gospel of John this year. We'll come back around and deep dive into chapter 16. Right now, we're just going to kind of hover over the surface uh, this morning. A few aspects of this this word uh, convict I want to draw out and bring to light. Aspect number one of the Spirit's convicting work is this. This is going to sound crazy, but the world isn't as bad as it could be. The world isn't as bad as it could be. What did it say there? It convict the world concerning sin. The Spirit is at work through His his convicting presence as, in a sense, He's a restraint against evil. If the Spirit of God was pulled away, man, this it would be just absolutely chaotic, even more so than it is right now. I mean, we almost could think of the Spirit as this. If, if you run or you go out for a walk, last night it got really windy in the evening and you're walking straight into that headwind and that, that wind's blowing against you. That's kind of the, the Spirit's convicting work. He's pushing back against evil in the world. But now getting more personally, you may be asking the question, but how does the Spirit help me? Another aspect of his convicting work is that he shines light into our own lives. Revealing sin, that's not so pleasant at times, is it? Revealing rebellion in our hearts against God. And this this speaks to how the the Spirit helps us. Perhaps it's that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you're thinking thoughts you're not supposed to, or you're carrying out decisions that will harm you, that can be drawn to, connected to the conviction of God's Spirit within you, right? You ever get that feeling, like that twisting gut feeling, I really shouldn't be thinking these things or doing this. And that's a tremendous help to you. I've heard, I want to pause here for a second, thinking back to that previous aspect of like the restraint of the Spirit. I've talked to, to many Christians and they say, man, before I came to Jesus, even the things that I could have done in that time that I didn't do, I knew the Spirit of God was even at work then, kind of just holding me back, pushing me back. And He does so even more when He's dwelling within us. The Spirit of God is a tremendous help to us as we become... The, the thing I want to draw to light about these four aspects is, is an awareness. 
being aware of what these things are in our life will help us to cling to them and, and grab hold of them as the Spirit helps us more and more. Become aware of His conviction. Hopefully that becomes a stop sign to you. To the, the Bible teaches us to what? Grab hold of our thoughts. Control our mind. Which hopefully will result in a difference of action, outward action. And as you do this, you'll begin to grow as a follower of Jesus. We identified last week that, that one of the works of the Spirit is to sanctify us. Uh, we defined that as a growth in holiness, a growth in Christ-likeness. So that we'll, we'll be able to grow, we'll begin to grow as a follower of Jesus. The Spirit, though, doesn't only convict us through kind of those, the feeling or the tension that we have within. He convicts us very clearly when we receive His Word. It's the power of the Spirit when we read the Word of God and the light of God reveals to us like, oh man, that's what that's talking about. It's an incredibly convicting exercise to read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Wait, it's not just my outward actions that are sinful, but if I even think in that way and my mind is twisted, that is equivalent to actually carrying out the act? We would only understand that if we are digging into his word and receiving it. We become aware of, of the deeds of the flesh through our intake of scripture. That's why it's an important spiritual discipline in our life that we intake the Bible. We need to see this, this aspect of his ministry in very, various areas of our lives. Because we, we often just attribute his, his conviction to obvious misdeeds of the flesh, right? The big sins, okay? Sexual immorality or, or addiction to substances or, or taking things that don't belong to you or even worse than that, like murder. Those are the big ones. But what about those areas of conviction that you suppress? Because maybe if it just feels so right, do you know the Bible tells us this? It tells us not to worry about what? It says anything. I mean, it's just real clear as day. Do not worry about anything. Like, it doesn't get any more clear than that, does it? Worry and anxiousness. Who struggles with that? This guy does. How many of us let worry and anxious feelings fester and grow within us, right? I, like last Monday, 4.30 in the morning, I'm laying there in bed like this. You with me? You suppress the, the comforting and helping presence of God within you, and, and you let despair eat away deep within, ignoring this, the light shining presence of God to comfort you in the midst of your worry and your anxiousness. It's like if you set up a tent and people are, are making little hand puppets inside. You guys ever make little hand puppets inside? Or maybe on the wall and you shine the light against that and then you can see what's actually going on. It makes this, this that's what the Spirit does for us. He, he illuminates things. He reveals through his conviction. And if we zero in, I, I, would, I believe a lot of us struggle with with worry and anxiousness and stress, and it's just eroding the joy and the happiness that God has for you. Because the Scripture says, do not worry. 
about anything. Don't be anxious. Why? Because we can trust in the Lord's promises. We can trust in the comforting presence of the Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your convicting Spirit. Thank you, Lord, also that He did this. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, He brings an awareness of our need for the righteousness of Jesus. I pray there was a moment in your life where you stopped and you just said, man, I am not good enough. I'm messed up. I'm fallen. I know I've talked to people and it was like all of a sudden there was just this feeling of dread in your life. There's something off. That's the the conviction of the Spirit before you came to know Christ saying, hey, get in the right position. The Spirit of God stripped away your self-righteousness or your self-dependence. He showed you that even on, on your best day, your best deeds that, that you could carry out, they pale in comparison to the righteousness of our Holy Father in heaven. And the Spirit of God convicts us and humbles us. This is the most loving thing He could do. And He does this. He brings us to a realization that we need the righteousness of another. Whose righteousness do we need? Jesus. We need the righteousness of Christ. How else does the Spirit help us? Number two, through His guidance. Through His guidance. Man, this this is a difficult one. It's tricky because I believe I've referred a lot to Pastor Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. I think in his book, he, he exposes a key misunderstanding in the life of the Christian Okay, a lot of times we are not in the present at all. We're only focused on the future. And we ask this question, what's God's will or plan for my life? Show me that. We have this desire to see further beyond in in our life's plans. As if the Lord gives us some sort of clear roadmap, like, you know, like the GPS. All right, turn left here, turn right here. Like if you guys have found the roadmap, show me where it's at, please. I'd like to get a hold of that. But what if, what if we pulled ourselves back? What if the Spirit of God's guidance was just a subtle kind of moment-by-moment dependence that we had on His prompting and leading? Paul says this in Romans eight fourteen. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, ladies, daughters of God. The question is not one of understanding his, his long-term will and guidance, but understanding his guiding presence now and our glad dependence that is awareness and submission to his guidance in each and every moment of our lives. Do you depend on the guiding help of the Spirit right now in the present? Or are your eyes always on the horizon? You see, I think, I think we're hardwired this way from, from the beginning, especially here in, in America, right? It begins in elementary school. The question that we ask, it starts when we're young. What do you want to be when you grow up, right? Notice the way we phrase that too. What do you want to be when you grow up? 
You need to be something. It's a question of identity. And we, as Americans, oftentimes wrap up our whole identity in what? What do guys do when they meet each other? Hey, what do you do for work, right? It's the way we, we don't even ask each other's names. What do you do for a living? Because our whole identity is wrapped up in, in what we're going to be when we grow up. We face these kind of questions. Again, our whole lives are, are dependent on planning. How many kids are you going to have? What college are you going to go to? When are you going to buy a house? Here's one. When should I retire? Right? All things that we're looking off in the horizon. Now, I want to, there's nothing wrong with planning. Please plan or your life's going to be a mess. The Bible commends planning. But what if our plans, our look to the future, consume our whole lives? I would say one of the blessings, this is going to sound weird, one of the blessings of losing my mother at a young age and then losing my father-in-law the following year, both in their 50s, was saying, man, I need to live life in the present. I mean, if I'm honest, there oftentimes conversations with both my mom and my father-in-law were always focused on, well, when I get to this point, then I'm going to do this. When I get to this point, no. Live. Be present. Let the Spirit guide you right now. And if our our focus is is only on planning in the future, then, then we are paralyzed with inaction because we desperately want a preview of where we're headed, and so we just don't do anything. What if the guidance and help the Spirit desires for you is to follow moment by moment, walking by faith, trust, confidence that He's guiding you in the right direction. Moment by moment, faith in His sustaining presence and gentle guidance towards His good plan. The promise of Jesus to His disciples and to us is this. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit helps you in guiding you moment by moment. Are you aware? That's my hope this morning as we look, how does the Spirit help the Christian is that we would become more and more aware that he convicts us, that he guides us. And so are are you aware? That he, he's guiding you and leading you moment by moment? Or, or have you so suppressed his voice because of your focus on the future that you're missing out on what he's saying to you right now? What if his guidance is simply this, a thousand little choices of submission to him? I look to the footsteps of Abraham as a reminder of that. God just said, go, keep walking, right? What did Abraham do? Okay. We see the faith of Abraham as steps of glad dependence upon nothing else than the Lord's promise. That's called trust. It's called confidence in God. Do we have this type of awareness of the presence of God in our life and His guidance for us? Fullness of life is made known in a faith, trust, and confidence in the guidance of God in all of our decisions. 
He wants to be involved in every single aspect of your life. Moreover, we, we are depending on his help, not only just physically as we walk through life, we depend on his help to continually guide us to this, the gospel truth. The spirit always brings us back to who? Jesus. He guides us to our deep need for Jesus because there are times in our life, man, where you are just feeling good and things are going right and we start to move into this realm of self-righteousness and why wouldn't God want me? I'm amazing. And the gospel tells you, no, you're not. You needed the righteousness of Jesus. And yet there are other times where you are just low and you're in the dirt. And the gospel says this, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to save you. And we see the hand of Jesus reach out and pull us out of the dust. The gospel humbles us. And the gospel lifts us up to the position of Christ. And the Spirit guides you within that. May we simply pray this. Spirit of God, guide me in this decision. Guide me back to you over and over again. Next, the Spirit of God helps us to realize our freedom. I would say this, the Spirit of God helps us to realize our freedom in Christ. Our freedom in Christ I'll put it simply this way. The Spirit of God helps us by doing this. He has set us free. He, he loosed the chains of our rebellion and He has released us from the prison of sin. Walk in your freedom that He has given you. Romans 8, 2, and then we'll skip to verse 15. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has what? Has set you free in Christ Jesus from this. The law of sin and death. I love the way Paul says this here. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, right? Think of, of the Israelites when they got out of Egypt, they're set free and their hearts were, man, I want to go back there. The minute I got hungry, just take me back. Take me back to where I'm comfortable. Paul says this, but you have received the spirit of, here this is beautiful, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does that mean? Daddy. Dad. That's the sort of intimate relationship we have with God. You're no longer a slave to sin. You need to hear that. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free from the enslavement to the flesh and have been adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Uh, the God who created everything through his spoken word loves you enough to call you his child. Do you believe that? You've re received the spirit of God so that you can have a closeness to the father, an intimate, wonderfully deep relationship with him that we can use this like a term of endearment like daddy. Abba, father. This freedom reminds me of the prodigal son. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal thought freedom was found in, in, in wealth, right? In his inheritance. Give me my money so I can go. 
He thought freedom was running from his father and quote unquote living it up, right? But what happened? Hey, the money ran out. Living licentiously wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And eventually living it up led to living with who? Who did he live with? The pigs. Down in the pig slop. The prodigal's view of freedom was distorted. He soon discovered that freedom was found where? In the loving arms of his father. And what happened when he came home running? The father's arms, were they crossed up like this? Like, man, I told you what was going to happen out there. No. His arms were open wide. Welcoming his lost son home. And he said, man, kill that big fat calf over there. Let's cook it up and let's what? Let's party. My son's home. The Spirit helps us realize this, the freedom that we have within the fence line that God has prepared for us. We don't always need to know what lies behind, right? The, beyond the, the grass isn't always greener, is it? We can enjoy the freedoms that he, he's prepared right in our yard. But also, I want you to hear this. God is gracious. We see that in a prodigal. And his grace abounds. The beauty of grace is when we mess up, when we decide to hop the fence and go check out what's on the other side, the Father, through the conviction of the Spirit, is always there prompting us to come back, guiding us back to the loving arms of the Father. Another aspect of, of the freedom we have is freedom from the law of our own hearts. Some of us, man, just give me a checklist that I can do and I want to finish the job. Just give me some law to follow. But the Spirit of God has given us the freedom to, to believe the truth about what Christ has accomplished for us. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. We sing a, uh, or we listen to a verse or a, a song every once in a while here. It talks about this, the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? Can you hear the chorus in your head? Let's read the whole section, though. What is this talking about? It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, right? Kind of the curtain over your eyes. Now the Lord is the Spirit, here, here it is, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Come on now. There is what? It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now the whole context of that passage is basically talking about people being stuck in the law and having a veil over their face that they don't receive the new covenant of grace that Christ has poured out on us. And the Spirit of God kind of pulls that veil away so that we have freedom in Christ. The Spirit helps us in removing the veil of unbelief the veil that our own good deeds measure up, the veil that the law is what saves, when in reality it's the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has saved us through His precious blood. He's removed this veil so that we may walk into the grace and mercy of God. 
We can embrace our need for Jesus. And we have freedom in his righteousness, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And lastly, how does the Spirit help the Christian? This is my favorite, is the assurance of God. Spirit of God gives us assurance. He gives us confidence. This is a beautiful gift of the Lord. He assures us of his presence. He gives us confidence in our faith. He helps us to hold fast to him by guarding our hearts against doubt. Romans eight sixteen to 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that, I want you to read it this way, that we are the children of God. Did you hear that? We are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, right? We get something. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus has changed our position. Provided, it says, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It says that we're going to basically walk the path that Christ has set before us. Two different ways that the Spirit of God gives us assurance. There's internal assurance. That comes through some of the things that we've outlined today. Conviction. We have assurance that the Spirit of God is within us when we're convicted of sin. When we have an awareness of sin in our life and our need for Jesus. We have an assurance of the Spirit in our life when when we're being guided towards righteousness because of His prompting and His conviction. And we have, we have assurance when we are freed from enslavement to sin. We have assurance also internally when we understand and we thirst for his word. And we have assurance when we desire holiness. It's that point where like, man, I'm just I'm disgusted with the way I used to be and I don't want to be like that. I want to be like my Savior. I want to be like Jesus. Externally, we also have assurance God has gifted us with a community of believers that we call the church. Filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God works through His people and offers assurance externally. Who here has experienced the gentle hand of somebody else in the church on their shoulder saying, keep going. We love you. We're praying for you. That's the Spirit of God working through His people. I want to share a story with you. I'm terrible with directions, okay? If it weren't for GPS, I would be lost all of my life. Don't tell her, but my wife's terrible with directions too. So we're not a good pair together in the car. I shared with you, uh, we like to go hiking. Uh, We like to get outside in the woods, um, wherever we have lived. We've always gone out for walks and and walked in nature. And um, shared with you guys a few weeks back, we got to get out to Red River Gorge for a few days. and, And we had one last hike that we wanted to do, which was near kind of the place we were staying. And we, we, maybe a fib to our kids and told them we were just going to hike a mile or so, but we had bigger plans. And so we're, because they didn't really want to hike anymore. 
Um, so we, we get out on the pathway, and we wanted to go watch some of the rock climbers. There's like world-famous rock climbing walls there. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I will never rock climb. I'm too big, okay? The rocks will fall over if, if you try to bolt me up on the side of the hill. So I like to go and watch them. So we found a couple of rock climbing walls, watched them, and then came back down to the main path. And there were some signs kind of pointing us to, there was something better down the pathway, you could tell. There's something, there's something better down this pathway. So we start hiking, kids complaining, and uh, we keep going, see a sign, you know, one mile further. Uh, and, but the signs are kind of stretched out far enough that you begin to doubt yourself, right? You guys been there when you're hiking? Or maybe that, like the GPS isn't giving you enough directions. You're driving on the road. You're like, man, I really feel like I missed the turn somewhere. So we're out in the woods and we're hiking. And I know there's, there's something at the end of this that's good. There's something good. And every once in a while, we hit, obviously, these little markers along the pathway. But there was one key moment in that hike. We were, man, I almost gave in to my kids and like, yeah, let's turn around and go. But we kept going, and off in the distance, we see these people kind of coming down the trail towards us. And they're joking and laughing, family, happy, and we get closer to them. And the guy, just unprompted, looks at our family, and he goes, just keep going. It's worth it. Okay. Now, my kids were about ready to die. They are like, why did he just tell us this? We almost could have turned around and gone back. So we keep, we keep going up this path, and we get to this arch in Red River Gorge called Gray's Arch. Have you guys seen that one before? And there's a ton of arches in there. I mean, it's just absolutely majestic. Natural Bridge is beautiful. Um, this one was neat because he had this arch, and then as you climb down in to get underneath the arch, there's just this massive rock wall uh, right next to the pathway as you're coming down. It's one, I like when I'm out in nature, I want to feel small. You know what I mean? I got next to this rock wall, and I just I felt really, really small. And it reminded me of the greatness of God. And then I looked at this big, majestic arch. And I was like, yeah, that was worth it. You know the only reason we got there? Because someone came through and said, hey, keep going. It's worth it. I want you to hear this this morning. Hopefully you have Christians in your life that every so often they're putting their hand on your shoulder because they're filled with God's Holy Spirit and they're saying what? Keep going. It's worth it. What's the worth it for us? I want to tell you this. The worth it for us is that one day, because the Spirit of God is convicting us, guiding us, continually freeing us from sin's guilt and assuring us of, of our adoption to His family, like that, that arch was the pinnacle of the trail, right? It was the peak. It was the top. We're, we're working our way towards that in life. And every so often you have God's people saying, keep going. It's worth it. To what? To get to that point. I want you to think for me. Not because of any hard work that you've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus, that his grace and mercy that he's adopted you into his family that he's given you his Holy Spirit to keep on walking. And he's given us this gift of grace called the church that keeps telling us, keep going, it's worth it. Keep going, it's worth it. That one day we will stand before God the Father and he will simply say these words. 
well done, good and faithful servant. Family, by the Spirit of God, keep going. It's worth it. Amen.